Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This Ben Jarofsky Show Benny J Bonus Interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show as I speak. It is Friday, January 3rd, day three of reefer uh, legalization in the state of Illinois. Dennis, put the bong down, all right? Oh, Get sorry, it. sorry. <laughs> anyway, no more reefer jokes. Oh, God, I'll never get tired of them. Uh, as we do on every episode, uh, every bonus feature, I ask my distinguished guest to introduce him or herself. And so we'll do that with you. Distinguished guest, introduce yourself. I'm Andy Grimm, a sometimes criminal courts reporter. And uh, I'm, I don't have to do a, a recitation of poetry or anything like that. <laughs> was... No, but we do want you to talk about the first time you got high. Uh, no, just kidding. We'll not have to do that. Uh, it's Reefer Week on the Ben Jarofsky Show. I'm so delighted by the legalization of marijuana. I think it's there. Reefer Year on the Ben Jarofsky Show. I just have a feeling that we're going to be talking about this a lot. I I'm, I'm guess I'm wondering how I got invited over. <laughs> uh, we got high and uh, let's get Andy Grimm over here. Uh, Andy was one of our first bonus guests, I should say, if not the first bonus guest. It was a great interview, if I must say so myself. He took us from A to Z on Justice Smollett. And this was in my early days on my show here at my beloved Bright One, the Chicago Sun-Times. But it was also the really early days of Jesse Smollett. I think that you would just... he Andy didn't want me to say he broke the story, okay? I bet that would not be technically correct. But I always give him credit, man. Andy Grimm broke the story on Jesse Smollett. Uh, and you took us A to Z on it. And then since then, Ramana Hussein, every Friday, gives us updates. We love... I'm obsessed with the Jesse Smollett. Smollett gate, I call it. Uh, but that's not why I brought you in today. I read your story in the bright one uh, about Chicago's first gun arrest. That's really the deep dive I want you to take on that story. But before we do that, uh, Andy, just give folks a little... Are there any updates on Smollett Gate that people should know about that are happening behind the scenes that haven't been broken into the papers? You know, I have been I have been surprised at the uh, at the uh, how quiet it has been. I expected at least if there weren't any updates on the actual investigation. As it stands, there is a special prosecutor uh, who is uh, Dan Webb, uh, former U.S. attorney who has been appointed uh, to investigate the uh, incident, you know, itself the the alleged hate crime the alleged false police report, and then any misconduct by the state's attorney's office. So mm -hmm. he has the double bill there that he can uh, he can attempt to investigate. And uh, I have not heard from folks that uh, there have been, you know, that the grand jury has been re-impaneled. I mean, there's an entire police investigation he's going through, I assume. But I assume also that he's interviewing, you know, the decision makers in Kim Fox's office, trying to figure out who was told uh, to do what, how they reached this rather unusual conclusion to Jesse Smollett's case. But no. Uh, and barring that, you know, no news on that front. I expected that her uh, her opponents in the state's attorney's race would be lobbying hand grenades. But as of uh, so far, I, I don't think uh, I, this is something I do a little research on. Actually, there uh, I was just looking at the latest campaign finance reports. They don't have the last year end roundup here, but nobody raising any significant money uh, from actual donors. Other than like, so you've got multiple candidates in the race at this mm -hmm. point. The, the you got Kim Fox. She's got, I think, about a million bucks in the bank and has been raising money, having fundraisers. Uh, got twenty-five grand from uh, from Kate Capshaw, Steven Spielberg's wife. Mm -hmm. That was an interesting one. But also, you know, some of the local law firms. Uh, Michael Sachs, uh, sometimes investor, has given her, I think, two hundred grand. Um, some some big money donations for her. And then, but these pale in comparison to, I think, roughly two and a half million dollars that have gone to Bill Conway, the former prosecutor. Uh, who is challenging her uh, 
uh, I guess, sort of uh, in the Democratic Party primary. Everybody seems to be sort of coming at her a little bit from the right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bob Fioretti's only got a couple thousand dollars in the bank. Um, Donna Moore, who's a former state's attorney that or a prosecutor that's uh, that's running, that ran uh, the last time around as well in the primary. She uh, she hasn't raised any money. And Christopher Van Kooch, uh running on the Republican side, no real uh, huge donations. Although I believe he got some from a uh, from a police union uh, type organization. I'm still going through all the filings, but uh, Bill Conway is uh, 2.5 million. Is that most? Where's that money come from? From his family? Or? Uh, Two point five million from his father. Yeah, that's uh, that's what it, he's gotten, and then you know a handful of other smaller donations uh, from people who seem to travel in the world of financial investing. His father is the billionaire founder of the Carlyle Group, mm-hmm. and um, uh, yeah. Well, I'm going to make the same prediction to you, uh, Andy, that I make to Romano whenever we're talking uh, Justice Millett. I am predicting that Kim Fox will be victorious in the Democratic primary. I do not believe that the Democratic voters of Cook County will punish Kim Fox for what went down in Smollett Gate, largely because her opponents are Trumpies. And last I looked, Trump is the most unpopular politician in the city of Chicago and in the county of Cook, I would go for so far as to say, particularly in a Democratic primary. So if Trump's people are against Kim Fox, most voters in Chicago and Cook County are going to be for Kim Fox. That is my prediction. How do you respond to that? So you're saying the candidates against her are Trumpy or the electorate, no. uh, the, the that, section of the electorate that's against her? The, the section of the electorate that's against her is um, Trumpy. And just the voices in Chicago that are loud, loudest, mm-hmm. like the Fraternal Order Police. Mm-hmm. The Fraternal Order Police essentially endorsed Donald John Trump. They're loud against her. Uh, the suburban police chiefs, mm-hmm. they're loud against her. The, um, the, the just... The right, the right is made her the target of and uh, of their so much of their vitriol, and so you know that old saying. What is it? Uh, the enemy, my enemy, is my friend. Or, did yeah. I get that right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And so uh, my, that's always been my prediction. Well, if you want to help a Democrat get reelected uh, in Cook County, I got an idea. Have Donald Trump. Blast her. Do you follow what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I, th- I do think, and I don't think she's running from that either. Uh, you know, she is not afraid to, to send a snippy letter back to the FOP. You know, she certainly was very pleased with the Sun-Times stories that pointed out there were some, you know, white supremacist groups uh, among the crowd of people protesting her at a, at a rally organized by the FOP for their no-confidence vote that back in, uh, was that uh, last April? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I would tend to, I think you've got uh, a pretty good take on uh, how that's going to shake out. I, I guess I would have thought that she would have attracted on the Democratic side a uh, more substantial candidate, not knocking anybody that's in there, but just somebody that, you know, has a constituency, has a path to, you know, to victory. You know, somebody, I don't think Bob Fioretti uh, is, you know, a real heavyweight, you know. Um, and I'm not knocking Bob Fioretti. I just think at this point, it doesn't appear that he's got a constituency. It doesn't appear that he's got people lining up to give him money just based on what's in there. And he doesn't seem to have been able to really get much traction. Conway certainly has a lot of money, but he doesn't have like the track record that you would look for. Donna Moore is not a name brand either. You know, you would have thought that like a, and there was talk that uh, Earl Boykin, or not Earl Boykin. Um, Earl Boykin Rich, was a guard. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Eastern Michigan and <laughs> uh, the good. Clippers. Yeah. yeah. Um, no. Uh, Richard Boykin. Richard Boykin. Yeah. Uh, sorry, former Cook that. County Board Commissioner. Right. And so Boykin was uh, supposedly testing the waters there. There were some other names of people that had been, you know, like high ranking uh, federal prosecutors, you know, people that had like kind of a track record, something you could really hold up uh, and run against Kim Fox and say, you know, I, you know, there, I think there is a, a segment of the liberal electorate that uh, you would think would be, you know, that that's never going to leave Kim Fox's side that feels the attacks on her, that the attacks on Jesse Smollett are racist or, uh, you know, homophobic. Um, but well, I actually wouldn't go that far. I would not. I, I don't know many people, uh, and I, I know a lot of liberals. Mm-hmm. I don't know many liberals that are defending uh, uh, Jesse Smollett himself. Uh, like, I don't know if you saw Dave Chappelle's comedy. Not that Dave Chappelle is a liberal, but Dave Chappelle does a very funny bit about Jesse. Have you seen this? No, oh, no it's I saw the Saturday Night Live bits, but yeah. Uh, yeah, but his, his take on Jesse Smollett is pretty funny. So I don't believe there's anybody who's defending Jesse Smollett, 
But again, it reminds me, I'm older than you, so you may not, we're not around for this. Um, the response of many Democrats uh, with Bill Clinton during the impeachment mm-hmm. years, when the Republicans, New Kingers and Republicans were circling Bill Clinton and they were just like foaming at the mouths because they had him, because they caught him lying under mm-hmm. oath. They had him, all right? So many Democrats that I know, uh, including my mother, may she rest in peace, rushed to Bill Clinton's side. Mm-hmm. It was like, those Democrats, I mean, those Republicans, those dirty, dastardly Republicans. They, I'm with Bill Clinton. If they're gonna, And right. it's a similar reaction. So when you said that Steven Spielberg's wife kicked in some money to Kim Fox, I'm, I wasn't surprised because it's a very Democratic reaction. If she's under siege from Trump supporters... She must be doing something right. She attracted a couple of big donations from labor unions at a couple of her early fundraisers, um, but it doesn't seem like she's really tapped into the Preckwinkle uh, pipeline. And again, you know, there was millions of dollars poured into her, her first race against Anita Alvarez, who again is an established candidate with a large constituency and, um, you know, a constituency probably more opposed to Tony Preckwinkle than they were to Kim Fox, right? Mm-hmm. So there was a ton of money flooding into the race there. There is a ton of money in here, but I guess she must be reading that there's not a lot of traction. You know, so that money is basically uh, Conway, Bill Conway's campaign, and she must not see that as a threat because I'm assuming that she would be able to pull in whatever resources she would need, that, t- that Tony could transfer some funds or rally the troops. I mean, it, it could be that maybe the Democratic Party is in a little bit of disarray in Cook County because of all the indictments. I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I don't, either they don't think they need it or they haven't yet tapped into it. Maybe the race just hasn't heated up enough yet. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, she does seem, it would seem to me that she's pretty safe now. We are waiting for the Inspector General's report. Correct. Or, uh, pardon me, the Special Prosecutor's mm-hmm. report and the invest, uh, the Inspector General's Two report. Two reports, yeah. Yeah, right. So the Special Prosecutor, in his in his remit that was in the, the order appointing him uh, by Judge Tooman, uh, that you know, Judge Tuman's order basically spelled out that he thinks that Jesse Smollett is guilty as hell, and uh, um, that it was a that uh, Kim Fox's excuse that she had recused herself was, I think, it, uh, her wording was an exercise in sophistry, or whatever. Um, so I, I think you know, the, the order basically says you are to go find some, you know, you are to go prosecute Jesse Smollett, if not Kim Fox. You know, it seems like. <laughs> The, it it yeah. seems like that is whenever it lands, that will not be uh, pleasant for, uh, for yeah. Kim Fox. So then if, if if what you're saying, if it lands before the uh, March, what is it, 17th primary, mm-hmm. then that may be problematic. If it lands afterwards, then I, I still will put my money on her uh, absent an indictment, which I don't think it will do, uh, because she's the Democrat. Uh, in Cook County, and Donald Trump is at the top of the Republican um, uh, uh, ballot. And so I would just say that every Democrat, so many Democrats, I, I know the breed, Andy. I've been one my whole life. And you, like, can you get in a campaign and there's a, a, a Republican that you hate at the top of the ticket? Boom, D. Boom, D. Boom, D. That's how you go. That's just, I'm, I'm a lifelong Democrat. You're probably more independent. Uh, did you say from Gary, Indiana? I can't remember. No, I grew up in the western suburbs. Uh, but, you know, I think I'm like a lot of folks in journalism, right? Like, um, you may have general tendencies that lean one way or the other. However, your experience getting to meet politicians and watch them work, you know, you, you I mean, when I lived in Gary, Indiana, uh, and I did live there for eight or nine years, I voted in a lot of elections. And, um, you know, in the general election, I was surprised how many times I voted for the Republican. <laughs> Because you know they, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. The, the 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 Democratic Party hacks that they were putting forward were less competent and uh, if not outright corrupt. All so. right, I must make a confession here. Please don't hold this against me. I figured this out the other day. I've only voted Republican in my entire life twice, hmm. and I've been living a lot longer than you, Andy Graham. Uh, I voted Republican uh, for Bernard Carey against Richard M. Daley for state's attorney back in 1980. Were you even born yet? 1980? Uh, yeah, no, 75. Yeah. Uh, and as you were all five, you didn't get to vote in that election. You were only no, five. No. Uh, and then I believe I voted for Chuck Percy over Alex Seath in 1978 for U.S. Senate. These are ancient history. Yeah. Uh, any other than that, Democrat, Democrat, Democrat. Not particularly proud of that. It's just a fact of life. Uh, you know what? Uh, I have to ask you before we get to this, the, the story, this great story that Andy Grimm wrote that I, I'll, I'll get to it. 
uh, I teased at the top, teasingly, that uh, marijuana is not legal in the state of Illinois. You cover the criminal courts building. Uh, just talk about some of the impact of the new law that uh, is uh, legalizing marijuana on criminal justice in Cook County. What do you think some of the impact will be? You know, I've got to admit, now, there was that... I think it was Rom that made it to said we are going to now issue civil infractions. You know, this is basically going to be a ticket. Mm-hmm. You know, you you can be out smoking, and if you have a small amount, um, you know, the, a personal use amount, we're just going to let you go. Or and but we are going to ticket you. You know, and I don't even know what the ticket was. So when I first started covering the criminal courts, you know, here in Cook County, where I'd go to bond court on the weekends, uh, I was a cub reporter at the Tribune. You know, there would be the the call for the felony call. There'd be a lot of these guys with these small, uh, what you call PCS, possession of a controlled substance arrests. And then that went away almost immediately when Rom started ticketing for it. And I, my feeling was that the discretion of the officer was, this guy is a jerk on the corner. Um, you know, he may not have a gun on him because I can see where he's standing. He doesn't have a gun or, you know, but neighbors are complaining about him. I bet he's got a joint in his pocket. And I'm going to go roll him up, and we're going to put him in jail for the weekend. And I think there are a lot of those arrests. You know, Kim Fox has already deprioritized these low-level cases because she says it's a waste of prosecutorial resources. So I think the the practical effect for people, um, you know, that just are carrying a joint here or there, I I don't think there's going to be a a whole uh, that's going to be a big deal. I, I assume that when they did pursue those charges. It was because somebody in the police department made a call to the state's attorney's office and said, this guy here, you know, make him make him bond out. Now, a lot of these people are, you know, they're they're getting, you know, I bonds and they're just walking out of jail anyway. So I don't uh, think it's say, good. Explain to people what you mean by make him bond out. Right. Uh, so they're going to say, we're going to take this guy off the street, uh, you know, arrest him, cuff him, book him at the at the uh, the precinct, take him into the jail and uh, make him stay the night and then post bond in the morning. Right. Um, which, you know, can take somebody out of circulation for 12 to 24 hours, right? And so I think that might be, you know, I think there's probably more of those arrests, you know, around the long holiday weekends and that sort of thing in the summertime. Um, But practically speaking, I'd imagine a lot of those cases are getting dismissed out anyway, especially under this administration. Um, I think for a lot of folks that do have felony convictions for this, and especially now that that those sentences now have been wiped out by the governor, or, you know, Kim Fox has expunged a thousand names uh, of people that have done that. I think that is going to be the real benefit for most people going forward, especially, you know, if they have no other convictions and it's just some pot conviction on their record. Those are things that get flagged, you know, maybe by very diligent, uh, you know, landlords that uh, you might be looking to get in, you know, it probably can keep you from getting a job at Target. Um, and so I think that'll be the, the you know, the real positive uh, effect of this being legalized, you know. Um, I've got to admit that I, that the prices that I've seen, I assume street corner drug dealing will continue. And I do think that the majority, I don't think anybody's going, you know, down to a street corner to score a little weed here or there. I think it's, you know, it's primarily, it's, uh, it's your, your heroin, your, uh, your, your meth. Those are the sorts of things that are still sort of street level drugs. I don't know. I don't see it being a huge, uh, change for the criminal justice system in Cook County. You know, this is a question. It's ask Andy Grimm question time. This is a question someone posed to me. They think I know everything, which is it's such a joke. But anyway, uh, will low level reefer dealers still get busted? So in other words, let's say Nickelbag Bernie is, uh, you know, selling, uh, joints here and there and that kind of thing, the, the black market, if you will. Uh, will the uh, will the um, state's attorney, the cops, be arresting and prosecuting him? Well, presumably they're targeting higher level folks, and that's how you roll up the higher level folks is catch somebody. But I, yeah, I don't know. I can't see any real change in the enforcement. I know this much: nobody wants that guy on their corner. It's a neighborhood nuisance. It draws violence. I, I assume that they're still going to be, you know, harassed. Um, and, and and by and when I say harassed, I'm assuming that they are still, you know, and not in a bad way. I assume that police will still target them um, for, you know, you know they're going to they're going to clean up corners just like they always have. Mm-hmm. 
But uh, Nickelback, rest assured, listeners, Nickelback Bernie, who's making deliveries to your house very uh, quietly and peacefully, probably will not be prosecuted, although I can't. I do not speak in any way for the state's attorney uh, when I say that. I've got to believe that Nickelback Bernie is safe in those relationships. <laughs> I mean, it, it, they're just going to deprioritize it. Why would you do a big sting on Nickelback Bernie I, that's, at this point? I know, that was the person I was concerned about. They were worried about their local drug dealer. Ben is a, you know, like me, Annie, I don't know if you as a reporter, people, like, Ben is... How do I know? I mean, you know, it's everybody's going to form like a little corporation. The, the, the Nickelback Bernie is now going to be part of like a huge corporation, and hopefully he gets a pension and insurance and all that stuff. That sounds like a good deal for a, a newspaper. But all right, now let's uh, move on to the story that uh, piqued my interest this morning. Uh, this is a fascinating tale that tells so much, uh, Andy, about Chicago policing, public relations, uh what else? Uh, just the necessary, the, 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 the never-ending attempt by uh, Chicago politicians to put a good spin on things. Uh, Chicago's first gun arrest in 2019, in 2019, I'm reading the headline, Chicago's first gun arrest in 2019 made national news, but dot, 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 let's fill in uh, after the but. So why don't you take us from uh, the start? First of all, this is a story you broke. It's an investigative story. Uh, so talk about uh, why you got interested in it and what led you into this. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I can't remember what day of the week it was, but I saw all the stories, first gun arrest, you know, because I always see like big arrests, big charges, something like that. I'm like, I, I feel like I've been scooped on a story. And it was just a routine uh, gun arrest that uh, like happens, uh, what was it, about 5,000 times uh, this year in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was the first of 5,000, according to police. The New Year's Day, they put out a press release. The spokesman's Twitter had a picture of this kid's mugshot and the, and the, and the gun, with the, which incidentally the barrel was bent at a rather odd angle. It looked like maybe it was like a, like a broken gun. Um, but though so the story was, and they had a little press conference at the area, and the two cops were there, and uh, they didn't speak or anything, but they they were uh, they got you know no, noted and a little publicity. They got to be in the press conference. And they announced Daryl Rhyme, 23 years old, was arrested here after he after a foot chase. He ran out of a car. We found a gun in the car. He's a he's on uh, he's on bond for a prior gun charge. He's got uh, another gun charge in his history. This guy's a repeat gun offender, and uh, we arrested him. And this was our first arrest of the year, and by God, it happened one minute after midnight on uh, January 1st. Wow. And uh, so anyway, I, I decided to know. This is the press release they put out. Yeah, I mean, this is what they, they, they had a very short press release and, and, a, and a tweet, and then they had their press conference, and it got a lot of coverage. It was in all the papers. It was on all the, uh, you know, we covered it at the Sun-Times, Tribune. It was, uh, it was national news, you know, first gun arrest of the year in Chicago, war-torn Chicago, right? We're always the, uh, we're always the national symbol for gun violence. So the story gets out there, so I'm like, all right, well, let's see what happens. Let's see how this case is handled. I thought, well, maybe there'll be something interesting will happen with this. Uh, you, made, you thought this, let's see what happens immediately afterwards. This is, this is, this is how a reporter's mind mm-hmm. works. So you read this story in January 1st, 2019. You said, I'm going to follow this. Is that- yeah, let, let's, uh, let's follow this case through the system. Because as I saw it, I thought, you know, this guy didn't shoot up a, you know, a, a street corner. This guy didn't, uh, you know, this, this guy wasn't robbing a bank or anyone. Um, and I thought, well, you know, this is a pretty run-of-the-mill drunk case, like you, or pardon me, gun case like you see you know, again, they made 5,000 of these arrests, took 10,000 guns off the street in 2019. Mm-hmm. So let's, you know, just follow it. Maybe something interesting will happen. I got about, you know, 150, 200 cases that I look at. I just wrote down the case number, the guy's name, looked up his case. And then I was going to go check it in. I'm like, oh, it's, you know, it's been it's the middle of the month here. This guy's probably uh, due for a, another hearing on his case. We'll see if he made bond yet because I'd already missed the bond hearing. And... Um, and so lo and behold, I go look in the court computer, and, and uh, on February 15th, the guy, the guy's all charges have been dismissed, and uh, he'd been released. And uh, I thought, well, what the heck happened there? So I went up and, uh, uh, you know, I started talking to some of the folks that worked in the courtroom. He had a lawyer. His lawyer said he didn't know what happened. His lawyer wasn't even present. So, like, you know, you know, in these cases, right, there's a public defender or an assistant state's attorney in every courtroom. And I'm sure that the, what happened was the state said, hey, we want to dismiss this case. Um, and I'm sure the judge said, well, his lawyer's not here. And I'm like, well, we just want to send him home. So, 
the public defender stepped in. Public defender didn't know what happened. Wait, time out. So had this uh, Daryl had he been in pr- uh, jail all this time? Daryl Ryan had been held without bond because he was already on bond for a previous gun case. So he'd been caught in a similar situation. Um, so the deal was uh, on New Year's Eve. Daryl Rhyme sitting in a car with some friends that was double parked. Police roll up and hit the flashers and say that they see furtive movements by the occupants of the car. And uh, as they approach the vehicle, the car that uh, been stopped, at, or maybe I'm confusing this because he had an almost identical traffic stop in 2018 that ended with him getting charged. Um, but so anyway, um, uh, yeah, so I just figured I would check up on the case, follow it up, and he had been held without bond because he'd already violated conditions of his bond for a previous gun case. Got it. So, uh, and so you, lo and behold, in February, it, when you do, when you finally get around to checking up on it, you see that he was released and the charges were dropped. Yeah, I figured, um, you know, I, I figured I would uh, just check up, a, you know, after a couple of weeks because these cases don't move that quickly. Yeah. You know, you usually got a hearing a month and your case moves along. And, you know, depending on what you're looking at, you may decide, like, I've already been in for six months. If, you know, if they'll let me out in a year, you know, I'll plead guilty or whatever. Uh, he was, his previous case was an armed habitual criminal case, which means you've gotten caught with a gun a couple of times. And that uh, that can carry, I think, up to 30 years. So he, the case that he was in, that he was on bond for when he got caught in this other game was a pretty serious case. Um, but, again, I looked it up. In his background, he doesn't have any... Uh, crimes of violence. He's been caught with and around guns in a variety of circumstances. He's been chased by police and resisted police in a situation where he didn't have a gun, but uh, there were shots being fired and they thought they saw him with a gun, but then there was no gun when they got... I mean, again, the guy doesn't have any real violence in his history. He's got, I think, a domestic violence case. I could be wrong. But as I went through the file, this guy, you know, he was a pretty typical Chicago gun offender. Mm-hmm. And again, when the case got dropped in 15 days, that was a little unusual. And I thought, oh, it bears some looking into because this guy's case, you know, his face was all over the place, you know, for you know, 24 hours on New Year's Day. And he's already walking around. And I thought, maybe I should just do a story right off the bat. So I requested the body camera footage and all this stuff from the CPD. And um, we got into a big FOIA fight over it because it was a subject of a uh, of a pending investiga- internal affairs investigation. So in other words, okay, folks, we're, th- we're doing a deep dive with Andy. This is how a reporter works in the city of Chicago. So you make a request for the background information on the arrest, including the body camera. And uh, did you make that as a verbal request to the police information officer, or do you immediately file a FOIA uh, we sent it to the FOIA officer there. The, the, she put it in writing. Yeah, the press office can give you stuff, and they'll usually request that you write a FOIA if they, you know, if they want to give it to you, they'll hand it over right away. Like Jesse Smollett, uh, when his files came loose, they they were happy to dump all those. <laughs> Isn't on that us. interesting? Yeah. Uh, so okay, so you make this request in in writing to the Freedom of Information uh, Act officer, Chicago Police Department. Just so everybody knows, Freedom of Information Act is a law that requires public entities like the Chicago Police Department Mm -hmm. to turn over documents that are in the public's interest to see because this is public as in we pay for this stuff so presumably we should know how our our tax dollars are being spent all right so you you make this request to them and how do they respond uh you know they just the request was denied and they're you know you're talking about FOIA which is generally everything you've said is is accurate that uh, almost any government activity that uh, generates a document you're entitled to see those documents that is true i mean then and uh we had a big break in the smallette case when we uh, did a FOIA request for text messages on kim fox's personal phone that related to her public role as the state's attorney so um ton of exemptions for criminal justice stuff when you've got a uh, when you've got a case a criminal case that's pending which of course this case was no longer pending that's a problem when there's an internal investigation in the CPD they can also withhold that so well uh, you know and they were also saying you know the, 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 there's confidentiality issues because there are a whole bunch of other people on the video and eventually we litigated it months later we actually got the you stuff. actually took it to court mm-hmm. we, yeah 
Did, yeah. did you act as your own lawyer? Or did you have no, a no? The uh, the Sun Times has uh, some fine attorneys, uh, Matt Topic, uh, and some others, and I think they take some of these cases because when you sue a public en- or when you have when you fight a public entity on a public records request, if they lose, uh, they are liable for your legal fees. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like uh, you know, if you've got a good claim, there are uh, I believe they'll, they'll the firms will uh, sort of work on contingency because they know they'll get them back from the city on the back end. So, so the city being me, the taxpayer, you the taxpayer, yeah. And we should probably do a story about how much the city pays out to uh, for FOIA attorneys because you know and, and often these are not good faith attempts to you know protect uh, innocent people from having their names besmirched but uh, I think we got it and I think I finally uh, we also requested the internal disciplinary record so it might have taken until April because that's when they finished the investigation so I was able to figure out from that that um, the that four officers were under investigation by the Bureau of Internal Affairs, but they wouldn't say for what. And what I'd been told was that um, from some sources that didn't necessarily know for sure, but that the what they had heard was that the time of the arrest had actually been falsified on the reports and that there were easy ways to uh, cross-reference that and determine that the first gun arrest of the year was not, in fact, the first gun arrest. So, okay, let's just back up for a moment. This is... Uh, journalism 101 folks all right so you you found out that the case had been dismissed and that uh, Daryl been let out of jail uh, you asked uh, uh, you filed a FOIA request for all the pertinent information mm-hmm. in the case they resist giving you the arrest uh, give, resist giving you the uh, report you bring in a lawyer Matt uh, to take to battle the city's lawyers in court, a judge rules in your favor and this orders the city to release the records. How did you know? It was that when you learned that there was an internal uh, disciplinary uh, investigation, or had you f- heard about that? In the middle of all this, I was able to get information from the department that these guys uh, had, had were uh, were doing administrative duties while the investigation was pending. This, so I had them. This, yeah. You knew about this while your FOIA case was working its way. Yeah, I mean they 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 were, they think they were pretty straightforward about that, but they wouldn't say for what because it was still a pending case, all of that stuff. I mean, this is a lot of effort for what I thought was going to be a story I would crank out in a couple of days, and it took so long to get the information that I was just like, eh. You know, I think, did we get this stuff in like July? I don't know. But I was just like, we're going to do this story in July. Figured we'd just wait until, you know, New Year's Day, New Year's Eve, uh, something like that. Um, and, you know, and, and this is, there's nothing in my in my reporting that makes me think that, uh, you know, that they were, that uh, somebody in the CPD brass was saying, look for a repeat gun offender that we can, uh, you know, wrap up right at midnight and uh so we try and do it at like 1201 or 1202 all right you know i don't think there was any attempts to choreograph an arrest in fact the logs that i got that were in the investigative records were like it was like 30 minutes uh the arrest occurred 30 minutes beforehand you know the cpd i probably should have pushed a little harder but uh, it was not really eager to talk about when they decide an arrest has been made and what time you are supposed to put on your report or whatever i mean uh so I don't know that that's, but I think when they saw the record of the guy that, you know, according to a police report, told them was the first of the year, they were like, hey, great, we've got, this guy fits the profile. Because, I mean, I think that repeat gun offender narrative is something that you hear in every press conference that Eddie Johnson ever did about gun crime in Chicago, which is that we get these guys and we wrap them up. And here was a guy that had a very serious gun charge, was on bond, and there he is out on, you know, a minute after midnight we catch him with another gun. See, you know. The, oh, this the, I got to tell you, Andy, uh, my dear friend, Mick Dumkey, uh, he can give you a, a, an hour on this subject about, and, and we were, Mick and I would talk about this all the time. This burst into a political fight between uh, Tony Preckwinkle, president of the Cook County Board, and Mayor Lori Lightfoot and the, after the, the election. And the issue was uh, Lori Lightfoot and Eddie Johnson, then he was still the police chief, uh, were accusing the Cook County uh, uh, state's attorney and judges of letting repeat gun offenders out all the time. And that's Mm -hmm. the reason why there were so many shootings in Chicago. And Tony Perkwinkle was coming back and saying, there are no numbers anywhere that substantiate your claim. So stop making that claim because you're needlessly uh, riling up the public. Um, So this is not just something that exists in a vacuum this is an ongoing 
uh, effort uh, dispute, I guess you could, might call it, between the state's attorney's office under Kim Fox uh, and various politicians in the city of Chicago. Yeah, well, I think it's an age-old buck-passing scenario, too, where the police department's like, hey, what do you want us to do? We arrest these guys and the prosecutors don't, uh, don't do anything to keep them locked up or these soft-hearted judges let them go. And, you know, I, I just don't think that's actually... I don't think that's true, particularly, I mean, it, it's probably more true now with Kim Fox's more lenient approach to retail theft and low-level uh, felonies, but, you know, it certainly wasn't true under Anita Alvarez, and I don't think there are too many soft-hearted judges over at 26 in California, in my experience. Most of them don't hesitate to throw pretty serious sentences at people um, for fairly minor crimes, and gun crimes in particular, um, and I'm not classifying those as minor crimes. Now, this is, again, a guy... Daryl Rhyme, who's caught a lot of times, uh, has been caught several times in the presence of guns, guns on the floorboards of vehicles he's been traveling in seems to be a real uh, common occurrence for him. Um, but all that said, yeah, this is the, this is the, uh, you know, when the shootings are out of control in the city, you know, Eddie Johnson falls back on, what am I supposed to do? I have arrested these guys and look, he's out again yeah. with another gun. Yeah. So uh, anyway, so all right, so you uh, discover that uh, there's an investigation into altering uh, an official document. Is that essentially the charge against these cops? Yeah, hold on, I got the uh, form right here. But uh, yeah, I mean, basically it was, uh, and, the, and the penalties for this were exceptionally minor. Uh, Andy is taking out a, a sheath of paper. I don't know what it is. Uh, it, what are these are all the this is a this is the results of my freedom of information request these are all records in the system related to disciplinary action in our bureau of internal affairs investigation of the officers involved in the arrest of daryl rhyme oh. on january 1 on or about okay january wow 21 that's amazing by the way I just want to take this opportunity to say uh to matt topic the lawyer you're welcome my public uh my tax dollars paid for that <laughs> but you know what i'm just gonna say this right now of all the stuff my prop property taxes go to this is at the top of the list of what i would love to spend it on yeah you just like to think that uh you could have <laughs> saved that money up front if they'd have just handed Duh. it Duh. yeah anyway uh go ahead i mean it's quite an impressive uh and it doesn't look like there's a lot of redactions, which is also amazing. In the past, when I've foia the city, I always expect, uh, Andy, huge chunks of it to be uh, darkened out by a magic marker or something. Well, that, well, that is almost always the case with uh, stuff when you're, except when you're dealing with public employees, they have to give you a lot more information. I think the stuff that's blocked out here is uh, related to the victim, actually, um, who is not charged in any crime yeah. related to this arrest. So. Mm. So anyway, uh, so uh, so the information. So in, essentially, they've been accused of doctoring uh, a report, uh, yeah. not unlike the Laquan McDonald situation. Some similarities. Uh, <laughs> yeah, certainly the scale and magnitude of what they were concealing uh, slightly less. Yeah, slightly um, less. Yeah, I mean, and they were thirty minutes off. Like, I, you know, the, here was an interesting thing: body worn camera uh, footage had it happening all at five a.m., which. Uh, they basically just told me the body-worn cameras aren't that great. So when I looked at these records, it actually has the log that appears to be a log from the body-worn camera, mm -hmm. and that all those are the times that they must have been working with it. And it was all just slightly before midnight, um, you know, 25, 27 minutes before. Um, but yeah, so the, basically they were just charged with, um, you know, um, putting in the fake time and date because obviously the date changed at midnight so I, I i i have to admit i'm a little troubled by this why are they throwing a book at these guys i mean so what they got the half hour off uh are they alleging that these cops were uh, trying to get a public relations scoop for the city of chicago or it could just be they you know they looked at their watches wrong i don't know i mean i'm just like why are they throwing a book at these guys all the things that I've heard had gone bad in the city of Chicago by public employees, this wouldn't even crack the top 50. Yeah, you know, there's very little sort of narrative that's fleshed out here as far as investigative reports and what they discovered as to the motive for doing this. Um, you know, it could be that uh, that's when they got back to the station. I don't know. The CPD wouldn't tell me. Um, you know, I will say that they didn't throw the book at these guys. They, they, they had a period of... Uh, 
you know, administrative duty, and they uh, they got a three-day agreed suspension. And I think that's probably because they probably they and their union reps agreed that there's going to be no fighting uh, the fact that the date was not, or the time was not accurate. So they were going to go down for something, and they might as well, you know, if, they, if all it is is three days, you know, without pay, you know, maybe soak that up. Yeah. But, um, you know, I mean, the sergeant that signed off on the report also was disciplined along with the uh, the two uh, officers. So you got three people that got disciplined. There was a fourth officer mentioned initially who was not uh, didn't did not included in my report that he uh, got any discipline. So the officers who were eventually disciplined were they at the press conference uh, basking in the glory of the arrest way back when uh, at the start of 2019? The officers were present and. You know, the, the, they did not receive any commendation, bonus, you know, cherry assignment, anything like that uh, that I can tell. And, you know, and frankly, who knows? I mean, maybe this is, maybe they did this the way they've done every one of their reports. Or maybe their sergeant said, ooh, ooh, put the time at uh, 12.01 instead of uh, 11.30 and, you know, and you could be the first of the year. Wow. And I don't know if that there was a memo yeah. that when I, I should, this is, I should have, and all this time, I should have done a FOIA request to see if uh, they had sent an email to uh, to the district commanders, like, please let us know if you have uh, any good midnight uh, uh, you know, arrests around midnight or whatever, or the first, well, we're planning to have a press conference in the district for whoever has the uh, the first arrest of the year. Uh, so this is very enterprising journalism by Andy Graham. I got to give you a lot of credit, Andy. You fo- actually followed up on this. You forced the city to release uh, these documents, took them to court to release these documents. Uh, and uh, so eventually, sort of what is the theme of the story that you wrote? You know, a theme. You know, I just sort of, we just sort of followed it along, right? Like Daryl Rhyme in his in a lot of ways, is exactly this stereotypical gun offender that, uh, that the department brass rails against, right? I mean, so the interesting denouement to this and what made it uh, a little more topical for the end of the year was the week before Christmas, Daryl Rhyme, who had been on bond for a case from 2018, goes to trial. He has a bench trial um, in front of Judge Carol Howard on December 23rd. And I don't know if you've ever watched a bench trial. Bench trial is just in front of a judge, no jury. Um, it's usually pretty dry and fast-paced. This one took about three hours, uh, basically attacking the case against him from 2018 based on body-worn camera footage. And they're saying you got this guy in possession of a gun, and, uh, you know, there's no officer that saw him handling the gun. You can't see anything on the body-worn camera. They said he's making this move towards where the gun was found. That's not really on the on the body-worn camera. And, uh, you know, and the judge seemed to be, uh, she seemed to be buying into this. So she's about to make her ruling. And this is, by the way, the judge that's probably had four or five of this guy's cases in front of her because he keeps screwing up while he's on bond for other cases. Um, and she's sitting there, she listens to the evidence, and the cops stayed in the room, still sitting there. And this is from a 2018 arrest. This is not from the 20, the New Year's Day arrest. But this is uh, Christmas this is, of just past, just right? this, Yeah, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, got it. Two weeks ago, he goes to trial finally on his 2018 case from July or June. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he's on trial, and uh, the judge he chastises the cops in front of him. He says, like, listen, you guys, I went back, I watched this footage. And I just want you to know that if you come into my courtroom and you want to have any kind of credibility, you've got to, you know, basically not lie. So she accused them of lying about some minor details in the report as to, you know, things that would have led to the probable cause and, um, you know, for the, for the search. So they pulled up on the guy and he runs out of the car and they chased him down. This is the same thing that happened on New Year's Day. Um, and anyway, he, he, you know. He's looking pretty confident. The uh, the judge seems to be leaning his way. And then she says, but I find you guilty, and I'm revoking your bond, which means I'm taking you into custody. The deputies walk him back, and the kid's stunned. He looks out at the gallery, looks at his folks, and says to the, says to the judge, can I, can I please be out for Christmas, for the holiday? And she says, nope, take him back. So uh, New Year's Eve this year, he was, in fact, in jail. Wow. I'm... Speechless. I'm not quite sure what to make of any of this. Um, this is criminal justice in Cook County. It made it for an interesting kicker to the story. It was yeah. an odd coincidence. And were you in the courtroom that day, or did you just follow? Yeah. No, I did. I, I, I sat in, because I'd yeah, been following his other case. Cause I was looking. So I had reached out to him and his attorney, and uh, I can't remember when we talked. might have been in, like, June or July or whatever. Mm-hmm. He, had, we, we, he had a photographer at his attorney's office. 
I won't mention the attorney's name, but he threw me out of his office. Uh, the something in the the interview went a little sideways. I guess I don't. I'm not even to this day entirely sure what set him off, but he just decided he didn't want to cooperate anymore. And uh, they threw me out. But I, I can tell you that Daryl Rhymes seemed like a, the most happy-go-lucky gun offender you've ever met. A nice guy. Um, and in fact, he's got a couple of good zingers in his uh, in his police reports. It, what do you mean a couple of good zingers? Sometimes they include a little dialogue in the uh, in the narrative section of the report. So yeah. uh, when he was arrested in uh, in 2019, you know, on New Year's Day, they uh, he said to the officers, he's like, the the gun had like a the gun was um, that they recovered had no um, had no um, magazine no clip in it and he's like yeah you find that clip and the officer didn't say anything he's like yeah because you're not slick like that <laughs> yeah. um and then and he had this great one and when he got arrested in 2018 this uh or actually this might have been a 2016 arrest let me see if i can find this little bit of dialogue but i included it in uh, a version of my story i don't know if it got cut for length <laughs> it's not the reader they don't let you go on forever yeah i'll tell you Here, here's a good one <laughs> yeah. uh from in 2016 this is not the one that he went recently went to jail for but this is a 2016 police report where uh -huh. uh, okay so the subjects were in a vehicle it was a rental car um that they saw with no headlights uh and uh, so the cops pull him over and uh in their rental car um and on the back seat floor at daryl rhymes feet was a gun, a loaded Glock 23 with 23 live rounds. Um, they order all the officers out of the car. Uh, after he'd been given his Miranda rights and he's riding in the back of the car with uh, the police officers, Rhymes stated to police officer Dolzeal and uh, police officer Aguirre, we have to be the dumbest MFers in America. We are driving around with no lights on, a gun, a fucky, a <clears throat> effing 30-round magazine, and some effing weed. <laughs> Um, and then he, uh, and then he said, uh, and then he said, and this I think is the, uh, is the repeat gun offenders mantra, right? Like when Eddie Johnson talks about guys always getting caught with guns, it's because you're in a lifestyle where, uh, well, I'll just let, uh, I'll just let Daryl Rhyme say it here. I had that gun for protection. I'd rather get caught with a gun than not have one live and die in Chicago. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Did that get cut from your story? I don't know. I, I, I don't remember that. I would have remembered that. Is a, uh, wow. That's a, uh, that's a pretty profound quote. And a lot is embedded in that quote. And I guess I, I, I'll ask you this question. And this is the question um, that uh, I just mentioned. Mick, Mick Duncan and I spent a lot of time talking about this. Um, you know... The reality is that if if you're caught up in that life, you need a gun to protect yourself. I'd rather have one than not. Yeah. And so, like all the Eddie Johnsons in the world saying, turn in your guns, it's kind of meaningless if you're in the life, if you follow what I just said. Yeah, I mean, so if I were writing a reader story, I think I would have brought this around too. They tried to hold this guy out as an example of the problem in Chicago, right? That it's these discreet individuals that make a decision to carry guns because, you know, they never really, it's the because that's the issue, right? Like when hundreds or apparently 5,000 people in the city of Chicago, um, probably I'm guessing all and confined to just a couple of wards of the city are getting caught over and over again with guns, I think that it speaks to a larger issue than that they're some sort of hobbyist or some sort of desperado, right? Like there, there's a clear reason why the risks of getting picked up with a gun where just being in the car with the gun can send you to jail uh, and you're willing to run that risk. Clearly the issue is just the overall violence. I don't know necessarily how you solve that, but you know, taking guns off the street, they will just find another gun. The, the, you, know, the, you can't be caught without one if you're in that lifestyle. And for whatever reason in the city of Chicago, that is a lifestyle that appeals to people in a lot of parts of the city. Well, Andy Grimm, so the, uh, I don't even know if this irony is the right word. As we speak, is he in Cook County Jail? Yeah, held without bond and looking at uh, possibly up to 30 years, he's going to uh, state prison for the first extended trip that he's had in his life. And, uh, and this is for the, not the gun arrest that you wrote about that caused national headlines, uh, but the previous one. The reason he was in jail in the first place because mm -hmm. uh, he violated the terms of his bond. He finally, they finally caught up to him uh, a couple weeks before Christmas. Yeah, the system uh, eventually caught up with him. He was a repeat gun offender. He went down 
not for his most recent arrest, but for the one that preceded it. And actually, he did get arrested again. So about, uh, and this also didn't make it into the story, but about uh, 10 days after they completed the uh, investigation um, of the officers that falsified the reports and the the three officers signed off on a mediation agreement that they would take a three-day suspension, Mm -hmm. uh, that was on April 4th. On April 14th, somebody pulled over Daryl Rime and uh, they ticketed him not for not having a gun, but for not uh, he's like he should be on he for not registering as a gun offender on the city's gun offender registry. Wow. Does, eh. does, does, uh, and I, I obviously he did he he didn't have the proper uh, license or registration anyway. Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. You can't uh, you can't get any firearm license with a felony record, felony and he record. was already uh, he already had two gun felonies. Have you heard from him since your story came out? You know, I haven't. Uh, again, his uh, breakdown, uh, the relationship with he and his attorney kind of broke down there yeah. a couple of months ago. You know, this again, this is a story I'd been picking at for a while because thought it was interesting and um, uh, it would have been much more interesting with his participation. Um, but to me, it sounds like a guy that gets pulled over a lot. If you listen to the body worn camera footage from the New Year's Day arrest, mm-hmm. the cops recognized like everybody in the car, like they knew the name of the driver. And I guess all these guys had scattered, right? And so even though they didn't arrest these guys, they knew who was in the car because they recognized them on site. And some of these traffic stops where, oh, he didn't signal or whatever, um, you know, a lot of times I think they see the guy in the car and they're like, that's Daryl. I bet he's carrying. Let's go get a gun off the street. There are, you know, that is an incentive. I think police officers are rewarded uh, formally or informally for bringing guns off the street. The city of Chicago, very proud that they pulled 10,000 guns off the street this year. Well, we know they're very proud because they had a press conference, uh, even if the case fell apart. Uh, and Andy Grimm, uh, congratulations. Great uh, job. And uh, I tip my hat to you uh, for seeing, uh, following the story. You know, so many times it's, it, it's an instinct that a reporter has. I'll follow this one. You're right. It's a classic reader story, and the reader would make it into an epic. Uh, and I give you credit for following through um, and taking it where it did uh, and discovering that. You know, it's. I, they didn't hold a press conference to say they were dropping the charges. They didn't hold a press conference to say they were letting them out. They didn't hold a press conference to say they were disciplinary. Well, you know, here was the interesting thing, right? Yeah, so I went into the, uh, yeah, none of that got any publicity, although they they knew that I'd been filing FOIA requests, so they figured it might come out eventually. But um, uh, there was a guy in in the Chicago police database that you can see online. You know, I looked up to see, like, all right, well, was there any, were there other cases that might have, who was the actual first gun offender, or were there other cases, in fact, that maybe even you know, happened before this guy. So this went into the CPD database as having happened at 12.02 a.m. And there was a guy arrested at 12.01, a guy named uh, Kevin Richardson, who was over in, I think, West Garfield Park. And uh, some guys on a drug unit or a gang unit spotted him in an alley shooting a nine millimeter into the air, chased him into an apartment, ran him down, grabbed him. And uh, and he actually would have been, by the department's own database, would have been the first gun arrest, but he's not a repeat gun offender. Um, in fact, not even really from Chicago. Seems like he'd spent the last couple of years in St. Louis and uh, had a job, truck driver, older guy, was just shooting a gun in the air for, you know, I guess that that way we all celebrate by firing our handgun into the air on uh, New Year's Eve. But uh, yeah, so probably not quite keeping the narrative that uh, that they would have wanted. Not the narrative that would have gotten them uh, the national headlines and so forth. Uh, Andy Grimm, thank you so much for coming by. It's been, uh, it's my fault. I should have been having you back more often. You're a great storyteller, uh, and you really helped me understand what's going on with our criminal justice system. So happy new year to you. Keep up the good work. I'm probably going to drag you into the studio to talk about newspapers uh, in the next couple of weeks. So the next time, folks, you hear Andy Grimm in the show, he'll be talking about something completely different, <laughs> unions and newspapers. But uh, great job, Andy. And uh I appreciate you coming on the show. Sure. Always a pleasure, Ben. Thanks. That's uh, Andy Grimm on Ben Jarofsky, and so goes another bonus show on the Ben Jarofsky Show. Take care, everybody.